Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. We have been looking at this prologue this Christmas season. John chapter 1, it's on page 742 in the Bibles there in the chairs. Do hope that you got one of the bulletins for today. There are a lot of pictures in there. Some of this property before it was built, there are pictures of the doors that Mrs. Camp mentioned in the gym being worked on, and we wanted those pictures there because of that, the significance of that. We are here because of the vision of, a doc, of Dr. Singleton, the leadership of Pastor Mike, but this is the Church of Christ. This is his work, uh, the faithfulness of God's people. And we have a responsibility to be found faithful. Story is told of a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks were frequent, and because of that, a crude little life-saving station was built. It was just a hut with one boat, a few devoted crew members, but they kept a diligent watch, a constant view of the sea and what situations may arise, and, and they really did not think of themselves. They had a love for people they had not met. They tirelessly searched for those who might need help, and lives were saved because of their efforts. After a while, that station became famous for the work that they had done. Some of those that were saved and, and others that were in the area wanted to be part of the work. They gave money. New boats were purchased. Additions were added, and a, an additional crew was trained. Some members wanted a larger, nicer place for the refugees that were pulled from the sea. So they upgraded the furnishings. Soon the station became a, prop, uh, a very popular gathering location. People would come, they would visit, they would socialize. There was more remodeling that was done. There was decorating that, was, that took place. And, and, and the station began to take on the character of a club. Fewer of the members were really interested in going out on the life-saving missions. So they hired professional crew members to do the work for them. The life-saving motif became an emblem for their stationery and a logo on their shirts. One day, a large ship wrecked off the coast and the hired crew brought many boatloads of wet, cold, half-drowned people to the station. They were dirty, bruised, sick. Many of them were not from that area. Most of them had a background that was different than those in the club, and the, the decor of the station was really damaged and messed up. So the property committee decided they needed to build showers outside so that the victims of future shipwrecks could be cleaned up before they were brought inside. At the next meeting, some of the club members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities altogether and, and, and really focus on the social life rather than deal with the unpleasant aspects. Others pointed out that they were called a life-saving station and had a responsibility to save lives. But those folks were in the majority, or in the minority, and were told that if they wanted to save lives, they needed to build their own life-saving station down the coast somewhere. 
Shipwrecks still happen frequently in those waters, but most people drown. Tri-City Baptist Church is a life-saving station. God has placed us here at this time in, heaven, in, in history to do a work for heaven. And we can never lose sight of that purpose, that we are seeking to reach souls that are broken by the waves and rocks of this world. We must never lose sight of our purpose of sending forth others, that, that we are a life-saving station, a lighthouse, and that we must always protect that. That is the heartbeat of Tri-City. That is the mission that we have and the desire and the burden. But we also never can lose sight of the fact that the world's greatest need is the gospel. And we are witnesses to that truth. What I want us to see from this passage this morning is that as followers of Jesus Christ, you have been entrusted to take the good news to others. We as a church have been entrusted. This is Christ's church. He said he would build his church. But we are to be faithful in our service. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me. We're going to begin in verse 6 of John chapter 1. John 6, 1 verse 6, we'll read down through verse 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's look to the Lord. Father, as we look into your word, we thank you for the scriptures that you have given us. We thank you that you have not only entrusted us with a mission, but you empower us, that you strengthen us, and that you provide. We have heard many testimonies this morning of your faithfulness, and we know there are so many more that could be shared. But Lord, we pray that we would be found faithful, that as we reflect upon the past, that we would be found faithful in the present, that we would invest for the future, and that you would be honored and glorified. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility. We've been entrusted with the gospel, the good news, to take that to others. As, as we've been looking at what is referred to as the prologue, the first 18 verses of, of John's gospel, it, it's kind of that entry into the gospel. It, it, it's an overview of the book. It provides us with some key themes. But the passage that we're going to consider this morning actually also almost gives us the outline of the book. That, that Jesus came into this world, he was in the world, he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. That's really chapters 1 through 12. That is the gospel's going forth and he's being rejected. But at, then it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Beginning in chapter 13, we find Jesus instructing his own who were in the world. And from chapter 13 to the end, it covers about one week of the life of Christ. But we find the division in this book. And, and what we find is that the gospel advances. So how does that take place? That's what I want us to consider this morning. The gospel advances, first of all, with a commissioned messenger. In John 
1 verse 6, it says, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. Now, the reference here is to John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, whose name is actually on this gospel. The gospel bears the name of John the Apostle, but he never names himself in the gospel. In fact, John the Apostle doesn't name himself in any of his epistles. So 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as the gospel, he does not mention himself. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But what a wonderful statement, that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. We find that in chapter 13, verse 23, chapter 19, verse 26, it's about five times here. He can't get over, it seems that John's mindset is he cannot get over the fact that the Lord loved him. Jesus loves me, this I know. That is a message that should never become common or trite to any of us. In fact, after our, our program on the Christmas extravaganza for TCA and TFT on Wednesday, one of the fathers stopped me in the parking lot and, and he, he just was so appreciative of what God is doing here and the work in, in the life of his son who's at TFT. And he said, my son walks around the house singing, Jesus loves me. And said, I can't think of a better song for him to sing. I can't think of a better song for all of us to sing than the realization, Jesus loves me, this I know. How do I know? The Word of God. The Bible tells me so. And so all four Gospels mention John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God. His proclamation goes forth. It's a bold proclamation. It really comes at the end of 400 years of silence. From Malachi till the New Testament, that silent period, and the last words of Malachi were actually a word of warning of coming judgment if there was not repentance. Well, the the message of John the Baptist was repentance. It was warning people that they needed to bring forth the fruit, the change of life that was in keeping with repentance. And we we read that in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, as it speaks of John's teaching. John was a witness. He testified of the truth. The, The witness in the word witness is used 14 times in John's gospel which is interesting because it's not used, the the Greek word isn't used at all in Matthew. It's used once or three times in Mark and once in Luke and 14 times in John. But John the Baptist is not the only witness in the gospel. Yes, he is. He was a man and we, we see that here. You see it in verse 15. It says, John bore witness of him and cried out. We see it in verse 32 as well, that that John bore witness. But there are a number of other witnesses. I just want to give these very quickly for you to see in the Gospel of John. The second one is Jesus himself. In chapter 8, verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. And then in chapter 8, verse 18, I am the one who bears witness of myself. So Jesus was a witness. God the Father was a witness. And as we see in verse 18, the second half, and the Father who sent me bears witness. We also see that Christ's works were a witness. 
In chapter 5, verse 36, it says, For I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. In chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus answered and said, I told you, I do not, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness of me. The purpose of miracles through Scripture was to authenticate the messenger and the message, and in this case, the Messiah, that they bore witness that Jesus was the Messiah. A fifth one is the Scriptures. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. These are they that testify of me. God's Word is a witness. There are also personal testimonies in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 5, again, Jesus heals a man at the pool of Bethesda, and the man, is, as he's departing, he told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. And it creates a major conflict in that passage, which leads to some of the other statements that we've already looked at in the witness. But the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, the woman who had, who had a rather messed up past, who met Jesus, said to the people in the community, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? She's saying, come and see. I'm sure they had reasons to want to come and see. But they come. Could this be the Messiah? People were looking for the Messiah this past Friday. Judy and I had the opportunity to attend the performance of Handel's Messiah, and, and as we entered the Mesa Arts Center, one of the attendants standing right by the door said, are, are you here for the Messiah? And the, the question struck me funny. It's like, I wanted to say yes in more ways than one. Not just for the program, but that's really what they're looking for. Are, is this the Messiah? And the testimony that you find through the gospel of other people who had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Folks, that's our opportunity. If you have encountered Christ, there's also the work of the Holy Spirit in John 15, verse 26. It says, but when the helper, the comforter, the, the Greek word is the paraclete, the one who will come alongside and comfort you, comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And then there's Christ's disciples. In chapter 15, verse 27, it says, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So we have all eight of these listed in this gospel. These are mentioned as witnesses. And to understand that it's not just John the Baptist. It's not just Jesus. The, it's not just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's not just the Word of God. It's people. And we have a responsibility to be those messengers. Because a faithful messenger provides the truth of the gospel. You know, when, when we speak of a, a witness, we often think of it in a court situation. Well, a witness is to tell the truth. And in a court situation, they establish claims of fact that it is their job as a commission messenger to establish these truth claims. And those who hear the witness then have a moral obligation to respond according to those facts. 
So in a court of law, when the witnesses lay out the facts, the jury or the judge are to take those facts and apply them. We have a responsibility to lay out the facts. We must be faithful messengers. But secondly, the word advances, the gospel advances with a Christ-exalting message. It's interesting because as John comes, people are curious, who is this guy? And, and we're not taking a lot of time to look at it. You could actually do a whole uh, a mini-series on John the Baptist, but he was a little peculiar in his raiment, in his diet. He, he went out into the desert and people came to him to hear him preach. And so there was a curiosity. If you're, if you're in chapter 1, look at verse 19. It says, this is the testimony of John whom the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem and asked him, who are you? Like, we, we want to know who you are. And John replies in verse 20 and, and did not deny, he said, and confessed, he said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. So in verse 21, they said, well, then, then are you Elijah? He said, no. Are you the prophet? Isaiah. He said, no. So verse 22, again, they're like, well, so who are you? We need an answer. We, we have to report you know, we have to file a report on our coming out here. You know, our expense account, we've got to give something beyond, beyond the fact that we just showed up. They'd been sent by the Pharisees. And they said, so who are you that we can give an account? And John compares himself not to a person, not to a prophet, but to a voice. He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And the emphasis is on his purpose. John was a man sent from God, and he focuses on the message, not the man. Folks, we rejoice in the men and women that God has used to bring us to this point. But the real emphasis is on the message of the gospel. It's not really about Dr. Singleton or Pastor Mike or me or us. It's about him. And that we must decrease, he must increase. That's what John said. He came to bear witness of the light. We know him as John the Baptist. He's referred to that way in Scripture. But here we really see him being referred to as John the Witness. And the theme of being a witness is developed through that gospel, through this gospel as we have noted. But that's the terminology of a court setting and that's a responsibility that we all have. Because the point of the witness is that all through him might believe. That's what we read in this passage. In verse 7, he came to bear witness of the light. A witness has to have something to say. You know, if, you, if you're called to the stand in a court of law and they say, well, so what, tell me what happened. Say, I don't know, I wasn't there. So what do you think? Well, I didn't see it. Okay, why did we call you? We have to have something to share. And, and the witness is about Jesus. You know, sometimes we think of a testimony being, being my testimony, but really it ought to be what Jesus has done in our lives. And as a witness for Christ, we have to be credible. Our life must be consistent with the message. We, we are to testify of the light. We're to walk in the light. So, so Philippians 2 chapter, verses 14 and 15 say, do all things without complaining and disputing, without grumbling and arguing. 
Why? That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Why don't we go around griping and complaining? That's, I mean, that's the American way. <laughs> because we have a citizenship in heaven. And our God's in control. And He's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond what we can ask or even imagine. So we're to shine as lights. We're to reflect the light of Christ. In the same way that the moon reflects the light of the sun. That's, that's our responsibility and opportunity. Because what we see is a faithful witness will point people to Jesus. Our testimony is not based on who we are or how good we are. It's on who Jesus is and what He has to offer. One pastor said, whenever a Christian gets to thinking that there's something that is important about him, he or she will always cease to be effective as Christ's witness. Because what's important is not us, it's Him. This, this property, this building is, is a great facility, but the body is the church, the bride of Christ. Now, it's wonderful that we can meet in a nice location and we have a facility that we can use, but it's our witness that has to be essential. We don't ever want to focus on the life-saving station and lose sight of the lives that need to be saved. Our witness is because a truth has been passed down to us. And so John points to Jesus. We see that in verse 27. As he says, It is he who is coming after me is preferred before me whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. John's saying, I'm not even qualified to unhook his sandals. And yet he's a wonderful prophet. But John said, compared to the Messiah, I'm nothing. When we start thinking we're something, we lose our effectiveness. The gospel goes forth with a commissioned messenger with a Christ-exalting message, but it goes beyond that. There has to be a confident acceptance. In verses 10 and following, we see that, but the goal is new life, that all through Him might believe. People need to turn to the true light. That's verse 9. That, that indicates that there are false lights in the world that we need to be aware that there is false teaching. In fact, the passage that was read as we're, we're going through 2 Timothy, it talks, I thought it was a fitting time for today of preaching the Word in season and out of season. That's our commission. But then Paul says, you know, there have been some people that have fought against the Gospel. And being aware that there are false lights in the world, that we want to be faithful. The goal is not to win an argument. The goal is to seek to win souls for Jesus Christ. Christ is the true light, the genuine one. And the gospel is connected to that concept of truth. You know, the real need in our world today is that people would know the truth. To know the truth, to be set free. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And to know Him is life eternal. But notice, the, notice this text, beginning in verse 10. Notice, look at these verses. It says, He was in the world, the world was made through Him, but the world did not know Him. He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. What we see is that grand arrival. He came into this world. The cre creature came, the, the Creator came to the creature that He had made. And to see that grand arrival, which is followed by a great rejection. 
He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But we still see the compassion of that gift, that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. And then verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It tells us several things about new birth in in that verse. That Number one, new birth is not based on family background. It's not of blood. You know, some people are devoted to church. They're devoted to a denomination. They're they're religious because their family was religious. And, And, you know, that's wonderful. I appreciate the respect and desire to honor one's family. But to be a child of God is not determined by your physical family. Our spiritual family will outlast our physical family. You're not born into Christianity. You must be born again. Last week we we had a baptismal service and my my son had the opportunity of baptizing his daughter, my granddaughter, Kirsten, and he made the statement. He noted that while she is growing up in a Christian home, that isn't enough. You know, a religious background is wonderful when you have the pieces, but you have to trust Christ personally. It would be like saying, well, of course I'm married because my parents were married. No, you're not married because your parents were. You have to make that commitment. It's a personal commitment. That's our salvation. Has there been a time when you've turned from your sin and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, committing your life to Him? It's it's not of family background. It's not of blood. The second thing, though, that we see is it's not the result of personal effort. It's those who believe in His name. It's not of the will of flesh. It's not based on my religious works. It's not human effort. As, As we've mentioned, yes, baptism is a prerequisite for church membership, but baptism does not save. Church membership does not save. Good works do not save. It's not of the will of the flesh. Some people think, well, you know, I think if my good works outweigh my bad works. They won't. There's none righteous, no, not even one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This was Paul's burden for the Israelites that we studied in in Romans chapter 10. They have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge because they're trying to establish their own righteousness. But Christ is the end of the law. To everyone who believes, believe in His name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's not of works lest anyone should boast. We rejoice in the work that was done to place us here today. But it's the work of Christ working in us and through us. It's not of personal effort. And the third thing that we see is it's not by human persuasion, nor of the will of man. No one can pressure you into trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can't be forced to convert. There are some religions that will try to force you to agree. That that may be a mental agreement, but it's not a heart trust. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit to have somebody turn to Jesus Christ, to be born again as the picture is in John chapter 3. You know, that, that decision you made under pressure to please your parents or to get out of trouble. We sometimes joke about the the principal's office conversions. That doesn't save your soul. 
unless it's a genuine heart trust. That, that may fit a religious club motif, but it doesn't change the heart. It says the light comes into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Why is that? Well, non-religious people like the darkness because their deeds are evil and they don't want them to be uncovered. Religious people like darkness because they look much better by comparison in a darker room. Well, I'm not as bad as those people. Are you holy? Because the call of Scripture is be holy as I am holy, God says. And verse 13 makes it clear that this relationship is not of human lineage or human invention or good works. It's of God. It's not by the will of flesh nor the will of man, but of God. Has God worked in your life this morning? See, new life is also lived by faith. You're saved by faith and we live by faith. It was a step of faith that brought Tri-City Baptist Church to this property. It was that step of faith. But we all need that daily. We need His mercy every day. When the trials come, say, okay, the Lord met the debt for the church, but will He meet my financial need? God is faithful. We need His help to fulfill our mission that, that through us people may believe, just as John, a man sent from God, that through him all may believe that God would use us. Are we striving to serve the Lord? Are we being found faithful? You know, there are some important questions for us to consider. Number one is, are you a faithful messenger for Jesus Christ? John the Baptist was open. He was public. He was courageous. He was biblical. But he was also humble. How about us? Well, I, I'm, I'm really not a big, you know, I'm not that kind of person. You can be a voice. That we can plant, water, and allow God to give the increase. But we need to spend time in His Word that we will know the Word. We need to walk in the light. You know, are we concerned about the lost? Not just about sending out missionaries, but being missionaries. Are we concerned for souls nearby as well as far away? So secondly, do you talk to people about Jesus Christ? Do we look for those opportunities? One of the things that we put on our prayer sheet when we have our monthly prayer time is that we would pray that God would stir the hearts of the unsaved and lead them to us and us to them. Are we aware of that? Are we looking for that? Do we, do we look for opportunities to tell others about Jesus? Say, well, who am I? You're a voice. You can give a gospel tract. You can talk with people who are hurting, whose lives are being beaten by the rocks and waves of the world. You know, people like to talk about things that excite them, that please them, that satisfy them. I find it interesting on social media how, how often somebody will pose a question that they're looking for a, a handyman, a new landscaper, a doctor, or a dentist, and, and the comment section will fill up. And it's usually, oh, I recommend this person. They've been great, this person. Once in a while you'll hear, don't go to this person. <laughs> but usually it's recommendations. People will talk about those who have helped them. Has Christ helped you? Have you experienced new life in Christ? You know, we can talk about our teams and our hobbies and, and all of these things. We talk about athletes and actors and businesses. Do we talk about our Savior? Talk to people. This is the purpose that Tri-City Baptist Church is here in Chandler on the brink of 2024. 
the work that was done in the past, the vision of a Dr. Singleton, the leadership of a Pastor Mike, the commitment and faithfulness of a congregation has, has us here today because God has a mission for us. And while we're thrilled to be out of debt, our mission is to declare the glory of God so that souls will be saved. And so have you believed in Jesus Christ? Do you have that relationship with Him? Or are you trusting family heritage, your religious activity, your moral achievements, your philosophical understanding, or Jesus Christ alone? As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been entrusted to take the good news of the gospel to others. Would you commit with all of us that Tri-City Baptist Church will be a life-saving station, a lighthouse, and never become a clubhouse? Yes, we're thrilled to have good facilities and we want them to be attractive and we want to do all to the glory of God, but it's about souls. That is the heartbeat of Tri-City. We, as, as Mark mentioned, we have a wonderful congregation. A giving co- congregation, a compassionate congregation. But let's never become complacent. That we would lo- not lose sight of why God has us here today. And that's to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know Christ today? If not, we would love to be able to share that message with you this morning. Let's pray together.